This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The following program includes discussion of suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to The Final Curtain. Ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. I'm Shirley Welsh, host of Death Cafe Dunedin, where people meet in all sorts of places to drink tea, eat cake and discuss death. In this program, we break the taboo around talking about death and hear firsthand from New Zealanders about their experiences and their perspectives. Today, I'm talking to Christy. When Christy was eight years old, he was told that his father, with whom he didn't have much contact, had killed himself. Christy, who told you the news that your father had killed himself? So I was informed uh, of my dad's death by my mother, but uh, the day started off as as a, as a young kid. I was in after school care, and my grandma picked me up, which was very exciting. And to double down on that excitement, she told me I was going to Wellington, and I needed to pack my things. So we raced off to my house, picked up my stuff, and then when we got home. I got a phone call from my mum and she explained to me that she was in Wellington and my grand and my dad had passed. And yeah. And how old were you at that time? I was eight. Still young. So tell us a bit about your your father. Uh my dad was a he he died relatively young at thirty eight, but he was born in the far north of New Zealand, just north of Whangarei, um, into quite a broken home. Um, there's a lot of Māori families were after in that kind of um, post-war. Um, and he ran away from home at 16 to Wellington and cut off all contacts with his family for many years. And they kind of found himself in Wellington, but still uh, suffered from a lot of um, afflictions like addiction to gambling and uh, various other things. And yeah, that's. But apart from that, I, I know very little about him apart from oh, he's a male model. You know, that's where I get it from. <laughs> Was there a precipitating event that resulted in him killing himself? Yeah, so he he managed to uh, somehow lose all of his money gambling the night before. That's that's about, about as much of the story as anyone got. Um, and yeah, was found um, by his flatmate in the bed in the bathroom the next day. Yeah, so yeah, gambling was the one for him. So, why didn't you have much contact with your dad? Uh, so, my mum and dad had split up prior to my birth, and um, dad wasn't even at, he wasn't even there for that. Um, and so, mum had kind of taken on the full solo parent role. Um, yeah, that's that's mainly. So when your dad died, did you understand what death was? 
Um, yeah, I, so I had a pretty pretty good understanding um, of what death was, but it still came as a shock, I guess. My granddad had passed two years prior, and that had been a, a big family kind of event, obviously, and uh, the family had been flown in from the States and various other countries, and we were all standing around his bed as he drifted off and singing uh, singing songs and you know which was quite probably my yeah that's my first memory of of death and kind of the knowledge of what it meant and that was all explained to me by family at the time but um yeah he so when when I was told about his death I did have a pretty firm understanding of what it meant so that was your mum's dad who died? Yeah, that was my mum's my dad, yeah. So how did the death of your grandfather differ from the death of your father for you as a child? Um, well, my granddad had a lot of time before his death. Um, he found out almost a year or two beforehand. And... As a result, it was a much more gradual process of the family knowing to, that he, you know, he had a certain amount of time. He had leukemia, so it was a ticking time bomb, really. And we all kind of, everyone had time to compose themselves and do things like explain to the children, like I was at the time, um, what it all meant. And. So yeah, it, as opposed to my dad's funeral, which was obviously rushed um, to a degree, as they all kind of are, but you know, three or four days later, we were putting him in, in the ground and paying our specs. So yeah, very different. <laughs> so what do you remember of his funeral? Um... I, I mean, my memory, it may not be the most accurate thing, but as far as I do remember, the, I arriving in Wellington, being picked up by my mum, and kind of, again, being told what happened and how it happened and that kind of thing. And I, I just remember being, like, quite sad, but also confused as to why, because... In a way, I hadn't really lost. Um, like I, you know, I never had a dad to lose, I guess. But still, then I, I remember getting uh, taken on an adventure with my auntie, which we found out later was uh, her taking me shoplifting. So you know, it wasn't quite the. Uh, respectful, sombre affair you might think of a funeral as. Yeah, it was a a very different experience. What happened to your dad's body? Um, so, his, his family decided to go against his kind of wishes, um, and bury him in the, with the, rest of the family, as was kind of tradition 
um, up north, but Dad really wanted to be cremated, and his uh, ashes be spread over the Kahurori Valley in Wellington. Um, yeah, so they didn't. Yeah, it, it kind of was a bit messy. I think there was a bit of conflict there. Now, after your dad died, your mum's mum and your grandmother also died. How did her death and funeral differ from that of your dad? Um, uh, Well, there was a lot more wine. Uh, Grandma was a member of her wine club um, till the very end. So it was a... (laughs) A slightly different affair again. Um, Grandma had a lot of had lived a very long life and was very um, very capable right till the end. And kind of had well, she had made and made a lot of friends and she changed a lot of lives. Um, which I don't, I don't think Dad maybe just didn't even have the time to do. You know, there's yeah, he didn't even live half of her life, and so there was a being at grandma's funeral was there's a lot, lot more stories, and a lot more, well, a lot more people to to talk to to kind of, um, I guess, well, both kind of pay respect to her, but also. Um, to just to just uh, I guess use her as a topic to kind of engage with in a way, which was which was really nice. Yeah. After your dad died, did you remain in contact with his family? So <laughs> I have had very little contact with his family outside of my grandfather. Uh, his dad, um, who would either fly down to see me and mum, or we would fly up to see him in Auckland. Um, and that went on for quite a few years after dad's death. And then one year he didn't pick up the phone, and we kind of assumed that he was moving back to Fiji. That was the last we'd kind of heard from him. He was planning on doing that. And then after about a year and a half, I found out that he had passed as well. And the family had just neglected to tell me. Um, so, I mean, that kind of sums up about how much contact we had, apart from the occasional request for money. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have any. Otherwise, you know, they might have been lucky. <laughs> Did your dad have any other children that you are aware of? Yeah, so that's actually how we found out about Granddad was um, through my half brothers, twins, uh, Jake and Ethan, who uh, who weren't even born when Dad passed. They were still in the womb. Um, and then and, uh, I have one older half-brother who I've only met once, who is uh, three years older than I am, 
So, yeah, he just said that it was just the four of us. And do you have a desire to foster relationships with them? Um, we have quite a good relationship with my younger brothers. We go up and see them occasionally, and they come and see us, and we're in contact via social media and whatnot. But uh, my older brother, um, we don't really have much contact at all. Um, he's, I tried to get in contact with him once when I thought he was in Wellington, but it wasn't didn't come to anything in, in the end. I haven't necessarily got a, a deep set need to go and find him. I'm sure life will run its course and we'll bump into each other and yeah. Now, given that your dad killed himself, does that make you concerned that you might have a vulnerability to, to suicide yourself? Um, I actually think it's it's almost the opposite. Um, I mean, this is, of course, just for me, but I've seen kind of firsthand what what it's like for not just me, but actually more his friends and and the family that was really close to him. Um, it's just. It's one, in a way, one of the most selfish things you can do. Um, yeah, and I, I've had friends who have, who have, you know, been on the edge of that, and <laughs> sometimes I almost feel like saying to them, you know, don't be so funny, don't be so bloody stupid. Because <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty awful. Um, being on the receiving end of a suicide. So did you feel anger towards him that he had left you as a young child behind or not? Um, no, I think that... I think that at the time that didn't really occur to me as a... I mean, as an eight-year-old, you don't really... You don't have a... Um, structure for that kind of thinking necessarily and, and you don't know what to think when something so kind of, so abnormal happens that uh, I think sadness was the main feeling and then by the time I kind of had the capabilities to to think about it in more in depth like that and to, from a more objective position uh, I I kind of, I think enough time had passed, you know, where it was just life now, and yeah. But the, I mean, I I do notice um, sometimes I get a little bit annoyed that uh, your your kind of typically blokey things, I guess, or what would be kind of almost socially considered as the dad's role to teach. Um, <laughs> I lack some massive capabilities in those regards. If I open up a car, I have no idea what I'm looking at. I'm just that guy standing there looking at a motor scratching his head. But, but, you know, apart from that, not at all. <laughs> so given that you didn't have much of a relationship with him, did you feel a sense of loss despite that? 
Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I've only really, like, I've only kind of cried about Dad's death the once when I was told, and that was possibly the biggest, most, like, intense loss I've felt. Um, as opposed to my, when my grandma passed, where we knew it was coming, and I guess the, almost the loss was preemptively coming on before, before her death. Whereas with Dad, it was one big rush. And, um, but, but since then, no, no, no kind of, not really, not a feeling of loss that deeply. How do people respond when you tell them that your dad killed himself? Um, incredibly awkwardly, <laughs> most of the time. Um, yeah, as a, I mean, as a, I was a kid and growing up with that, uh, quite a common question you get asked when you're young is, uh, what do your parents do, you know? And that question can be asked by your peers or people older than you, you know, and it didn't really seem to make a difference at, when I was younger. Um, most people were just, yeah, incredibly kind of awkward and shy away from the whole conversation a bit afterwards. I mean, of course, there's the occasional person who might be able to empathise in some kind of way um, and they might kind of tick the conversation on for a few extra nouns and verbs, but <laughs> not not really at all, you know. The, the, usually it was quite a short conversation. Of, uh, how did he die? Might be asked, and then you'd say he killed himself, and then... Most people would go, oh, um, oh that's horrible. Um, what kind of coffee would you like? You know. Would you have liked it if they were able to engage with you about it, or is it quite a relief that they don't want to? Um, I think at the time it was probably a relief, but again, because of my because of my age, I mean, it was. Yeah, that that would like. I didn't really have much more to say on the matter. Whereas now I'm a bit older, kind of have well experienced more like people passing in my life, and also have more of an idea about the situation around my dad's death and that kind of thing. I I actually have more to say about it. I guess. Than I did back then. Now your dad is buried up north. Have you been up mm-hmm. to see his graveside? Uh, no, I actually haven't, which is which is quite bad. But at the same time, I don't. I mean, which is also quite bad. I don't have a, a necessarily a huge um, huge need or want. It's not something that occurs to me. And I'm not quite sure why that is, but the yeah, my partner um, Sid, who's who's from Australia, so 
was keen to travel anywhere in New Zealand, said that we should go up there at once at some stage. Which I thought, you know, when she mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, why not, you know? But that was kind of, yeah, there's been no, no desire, but also nothing stopping me from doing things. Now, your mum is um, Pākehā, and your dad was Fijian Māori. So is there any yearning to go and explore your Fijian Māori side, that, or has it sort of died with him? Um, actually, it was. So as a, as a kind of solo-parented child and, uh, you know, yeah, effectively raised by a white mum... Um, my my feelings throughout my kind of schooling, even up until university, um, had always kind of been that I wouldn't take any kind of Maori scholarships, and um, and so yeah, never kind of took any of the benefits that have uh, been available to me because of dad's passing. Um, and I found it harder to connect with the, my Māori side because because of dad's death and because of my lack of contact with his family. And I've found that quite often you're um, ushered to, to connect with Māori them via family. Um, and until about a year or two ago, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who is a, a bit older than me and very involved in the local Māori community down here in, in Christchurch at Rapaki Marae. And although it's not my iwi, um, she... Her kind of explanation was that it's your your community is your family, which I already agreed with, and in that through that kind of thinking you can connect to Maori them using family connection wherever you are, um, and that really kind of. <laughs> It actually really sparked my brain for a second, and I kind of regretted never taking any of the scholarships because <laughs> uh, because she was she was right, and and I didn't need to go and search down my long lost relatives when I was surrounded by people who were involved in Maori Um and yeah, so I ended up going to the Marae being welcomed on with the big porphyry with a few other people and and had a great time but in in actually in actuality though it didn't hasn't resulted in me necessarily going much further than that. But it was still a um a door that opened, I guess. Christy, thank you so much for talking to me about what it was like to use your dad as a young child and, of course, as a young man growing up. No worries, sir. It was a pleasure. 
You've been listening to The Final Curtain, ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. Podcasts from this series are available online at oar.org.nz and from the accessmedia.nz app. At Death Café Dunedin, the conversation continues. You can join that conversation by listening to other New Zealanders tell their stories about death and, if you want to, by sharing yours. Look for Death Café Dunedin on Facebook for updates and meeting times. If this program has raised issues and made you worry about your or someone else's mental health, there are some ways to get help. The best person to contact is your GP or local mental health provider. However, if you or someone else is in danger or endangering others, call 111. If you need to talk to someone, the following free helplines operate 24-7. 17-37 need to talk? Just call or text 17-37. Lifeline 0800 543-354. The Suicide Crisis Helpline 0508 828 865. Youthline 0800 376 633 or text 234 between 8am and midnight. The Depression Helpline 0800 111 757 and Samaritans 0800 726 666. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.